Hello everyone and welcome to the Power of Music Thinking. My name is Christoph Zürn and this is the podcast for people with a musical heart and a wicked job. We're looking for stories, insights and tools from the big world of music to inspire leaders and followers to listen, tune, play and perform in whatever field you're operating. Today we're in the Netherlands and we talk with Roy Scherer, the co-founder of the Dutch cooperative Fabric. We hear about his journey from hospitality to the airline business and being an entrepreneur. We chat about the blockchain philosophy, collaborative transformation and learn more about the value that the music thinking framework and the jam cards can bring in client projects. Okay, let's get into it. Roy, welcome to the program. Hi Christoph. Good to be on the show. Great to have you, Roy. Roy, let me start with a musical question. What was your first record or concert that had an impact on you? Oh, I guess many, but one of my earliest memories got to my adolescence listening to Brothers in Arms of Dire Straits. Um, you know, the guitar play of Mark Knopfler really resonated with me with the state of mind that I had in that in these early days and uh, it always intrigued me what it what you need as a person in terms of quality and the conviction to work such an instrument and to play such a fantastic music and still up to date till today it's it's just beautiful music it, it sort of never fades out all right Roy, you worked as a CCO CDO in the airline industry And you are an entrepreneur now and co-founded the Dutch Cooperative Fabric. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Well, I've always been intrigued by, let's see, the, the merger of technology uh, with business and people. Uh, so I worked a lot. I started in the hospitality business, um, trying to understand what is it that you need to do to, make, to please people, to make them feel welcome and hospitable. And... Um, And then I, I ran into, let's say, the, the power of technology in late 90s and early 2000s. Um, and I got the opportunity to work for more than two decades on, let's say, the, the joints of, of, of where technology meets people. Um, and that still up, today, up till today really intrigues me. Because technology is evolving, people are evolving, we get used to technology, uh, we put it in different contexts, we get, we, get, uh, we get familiarized with it, we understand how to use it, um, and still up today, I think it's very interesting to understand how that, uh, how that evolves. So I've been working on, on let's say, on uh, both sides. How do, you, how do you act as people from a marketing perspective, from a design perspective, How do you serve people? How do you influence people? How do you help people? But also from the other side, what is it that you need to do from technology perspective to make that actually happen and to, to, make, to make sure that we can use as humans the technology as tools to leverage our abilities, to augment our powers. Um, and I guess that from, from that perspective, we live in a very exciting time because that's, 
It's all around us, isn't it, Christoph? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'm, I was wondering be, between working in the hospitality uh, industry and then going to the airline industry, how, how was this shift? Uh, brutal, I must say. So it's uh, because if, if there is one, let's say, vision that you might have as an outsider, it's sort of this romantic view of aviation where people, where people are being served well and taken to exotic places. But the fact is, it's just a, uh, a, a lean and mean asset machine, which means that wow. the whole business around making sure that these uh, assets are being uh, used, utilized, optimized, um, uh, and yes, we, knew, we do need people on the seat to make that happen. But sometimes the industry gets more in love with, let's say, with the, with the operations of flying and the machines of flying rather than by, by let's say, the, the whole purpose of, uh, uh, of the business, which is serving people. Uh, so it's quite a, quite a brutal shift from the hospitality industry, where I strongly believe that people are truly convinced and truly understand What, what role they, they play um, and what purpose they, uh, they achieve. But, but, but you stopped. So you changed uh, to be an entrepreneur. How did this work? Well, at a certain point in time, I came to the insight that, that I wanted to create a place where my talents would be, let's say, be challenged, uh, put into practice. Um, and where you're less part of a predefined system. So I wanted to create my own system, my own setting, my own surrounding where I could, could play around, where I could try to understand what would work and what didn't work, to learn, to practice. Um, and in a self-defined space, even though that's sometimes very scary because if you start from scratch, there are a zillion op op options that you have on the table. Um, it triggers me, and I needed a trigger. Uh, living a corporate life sort of is also very comfortable uh, and puts you in a way to, to sleep. But, be, but before you started, you, you were responsible for a lot of people. Well, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> so, no, it's... it's I, I came to learn that, that and that's probably also associated with age, that, that progress in life doesn't mean more responsibility or more power. And, and corporates in, in, in general, people in corporates um, become dependent. They find it hard to be independent. And as an entrepreneur, you're only responsible for your own acts and your own achievements. Um, And surely you can pay attention to people around you, but that doesn't come per se of the hierarchy that you're in. And in corporate people say, well, you know, you are my boss, Joe, so you have to keep take care of me. I stop being responsible for my own development because that's up to you. That's why you're being paid as manager. Uh, and I thought that was, that was sort of wicked, uh, sort of, sort of out of balance. Um, so when you have a lot of responsibility, people look at you. Uh, and expect that you take, take care of them, while in fact we live, we live in, a, in a situation, in a world, where I feel that people are responsible individually for their progress, for the developments, for their challenges, rather than looking at the corporate or the manager to taking care of that. 
That's interesting. And so you left the corporate world and started your own. How did this work and how did this start? How did you do this? Hmm. First, I decided to quit. Then I, then I, because that, that's the trigger that I needed to start exploring the new, to close the door, to open up new doors. Um, so did you know where to go or it was just first quitting? First quitting. First quitting. Because I realized that I was unable to define the new space in the old setting, in the old context. So I needed to abandon the old context to be able to create a new context and to explore the new opportunities. And that's literally what happens. The moment you close the door, the moment you, you, you bring out the news that you leave, new opportunities rise within a minute because people, they accelerate. Say, ah, now I have a different perspective of who you are. I know what you are capable of. I thought you were, let's say, I, I, I looked at you as if you were part of that system. Now you're not part of that system. That creates new opportunities. Right? So, so by, by quitting, that automatically creates new opportunities as such. But then again, it, it creates a zillion opportunities. Right? So it's a whole process about fi figuring out where, where you're good at, what your true talents are, uh, what resonates, what doesn't resonate, who you run into, who you don't run into. Um, so it was definitely a, a, a bumpy ride. It is still a bumpy ride, um, but more and more I, I start to discover what really what really drives me and what I'm really good at, and how I can merge these two. So to, to be practical, first I did an interim job as a as chief digital for for an airport. Well, I thought. Well, I wanted to leave the airline business. Why do I go to an airport? And then all of a sudden, I find out that besides the fact that being interim is not the most ideal position to be in, um, an airport is extremely different from being an airline. It was for the first time after almost 20 years of my career in the aviation business that I, I realized that even though that, that airlines and airports are in the same system, They take a very different perspective, a very different view in many ways. Um, and I find it very insightful to have, to have this different perspective. Because when you work in a, in, a, in a particular context for a long time, you, get sort of, you have sort of a monotone view. It's sort of a one-sided view, and it's very hard to shift perspective. Um, uh, and um, so it really triggered me and said, hey, Even when you're very close, because I worked with the airport for many years, you switch the coin, you switch, you switch perspectives, and it, it, it really opened up the view that, oh, the world has so much more to offer. If this diversity is already, let's say, within the perimeter of, let's say, of the same premises, and so on the same square kilometer, you would have and terminals and aircraft, the, different, the perspective couldn't be more different. And I also, also started to realize why there were always fights, why, there were, why these people never understood each other, because they take so many different perspectives. And did you know why they don't understood each other? Is there a solution or is it just like the way it is? Well, there are interesting question. I can explain it from, let's say, factual perspective. Uh, a factual perspective is... Um, One part is very international, the other part is very local. You might, you might consider an airport to be very international, but it's in fact very local. It's stuck to a particular ground. 
one is fixed, the other is moving. Um, the one is looking at, let's say, horizons of, let's say, uh, a year, and the other is just looking at horizons of 30 years. Um, uh, so there are so different time perspectives, different economics, different stakeholders. Um, uh, so, so there are many factual differences between the two, um, but that doesn't really explain why they were not able to 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 meet. Uh, and I guess that that is more related to the human side, is that how good are people at listening to each other? Okay. Yeah, and then and the business with full of metal and buildings is full of people that likes to like to talk and express their opinions, but we're not. We're, we or they, we're not very good at listening to each other. Let's talk about Fabric, Dutch co uh, cooperative. So what's different in a cooperative and what's different as an entrepreneur to, to start uh, a cooperative? Hmm. So one of the things that we run into after, let's say, where I run into is the concept of, of blockchain. Blockchain as... Surely, it's a, it's a technology movement, but it's also a, a framework. It's a mindset. It's a sort of almost a philosophy. Philosophy in terms of how do you create wealth? How do you distribute wealth? How do you how do you create a a structure that that is dynamic and adaptive to the surroundings? And um, from the let's see the the philosophy of blockchain, we looked at legal entities. And in the Dutch legal system, where there is something like a cooperative, which was found, which was let's say, which originates from the farmers uh, centuries ago, where Dutch farmers would cooperate in um, in, in creating a, a joint purpose or a joint goal uh, to find uh, purposes for their milk. Um, so we have let's say very ancient traces to the cooperative thinking. Uh, in the Dutch society, and that and that is still very much alive in terms of the legal system, because a, a cooperative facilitates the fact that you say, okay, we do something as a group, uh, but we only do something that is good for the group. So it's not per se. So you you harmonize the interest, you harmonize the stakes. So the people that are working in the company are also the ones that will benefit from the company. So if you do something that is let's say conflicting, as you might have as you have many cases in, I would say, regular corporates, because the interest of the stakeholder or the shareholder is not per se the same interest as the, as, as the interest for the uh, employees or for the managers mm. or for the customers. Um, and I strongly believe that there are, let's say, ways to harmonize these interests. Uh, so the, so that's, that's one important item. The cooperative aims to uh, be very strict and close and loyal to its to its values which means that whatever we do it's in the interest of the members and the members are also sort of the employees but they're not employees but they're members because they're all independent em uh, entrepreneurs they're connected uh, as a member to the cooperative um, and that's dynamic because that's that's how life is How can you actually ask someone, are you in or are you out? Are you an employee for a year or longer or not? Uh, very unlike to more Anglo-Saxon uh, cultures. In the Netherlands, 
the um, the legal system, labor labor system is quite rigid, which means that so you you either an employee or you're not. You're either a shareholder or you're not, and it comes with a lot of hassle, a lot of burdens, a lot of seams to make that sort of fluid. And the corporate system really facilitates the fact that you can be a member today, a friend tomorrow, uh, and a member again the day after, or or do it part time or do it full time whatever suits your life at that particular time. Uh, so it's much more dynamic, much more fluid, and it also allows to warm up and to cool down uh, with members rather than saying uh, either you put in money on the table for an equity stake or not. So Fabric has members, friends and cooperators? Absolutely, and partners and uh, beneficiaries, uh, many different, many different roles. But and how does this work? Because you don't, uh, they don't have a salary. How do you organize this? Mm, yeah. Again, uh, inspired by the blockchain philosophy, uh, there's this concept of tokens, um, and tokens basically. And I'm not talking about crypto tokens here. It's just the concept of a token, which means that you define a a currency of value and in our case we express that currency of value in terms of your in-kind contribution and that could be labor that could be contacts uh, leads uh, it could be money it could be facilities it could be royalties for uh, for an IP that you brought in uh, it could be work that you brought in and we value that so we, we, we created sort of a a, a regulatory framework within the cooperative to value each in-kind contribution. And then we calculate dynamically. We could every day, but we do that on a monthly basis to understand what are, let's say, what are the relative positions of all the people that contributed to the cooperative. And that creates a dynamic um, dividend right structure. Uh, and it's sort of correlated also to, to, to voting rights. The, the more stakes you have, the more tokens you have, the more voting rights you have as well. But the structure is such, the bylaws are structured in a way that uh, even the minority token holders are still well protected. Eh? So that you don't get the, the typical point of the ones that have the biggest share also determine what's, what's, what's going on. Because that would actually conflict with one of the earlier principles just to do no, do no harm, to do the best what you can do for the cooperative as a whole, rather than for the individual. Talking about blockchain and uh, all and token and everything, but um, what problem do you solve for your customers? What kind of customers do you have? What uh, with what questions do they approach uh, um, the cooperative? What we see, well, it, let's say it, from a factual perspective, we typically work with larger companies that have a foothold in in the physical economy. Um, I'm not sure why, but that's where we that's where we are. That's where we sort of resonate. Um, so these company typ companies typically exist 25 years or more. Uh, they've had multiple generations of leadership. They've had multiple generations of market cycles, economic cycles, product development cycles, technology cycles. And they're all stuck. They're stuck with their old, uh, let's say, their old structures in a new economy, in a new society, where things are shifting, where customer needs are shifting, where technology is shifting, where 
regulatory frameworks are shifting. So people are are lost, sometimes even in panic. All right, um, tell me about panic. When, when was the last time that uh, someone in panic uh, called you, Roy, please help? I, I guess it was sort of 10 months ago when um, it was sort of at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic when, when leaders still thought that you would, you would be able to save your company by putting out a regular strategy framework. So you would say, we're going to design a framework top-down. We, we pushed into the organization. And then five years later, finally, we've changed the company to the new world. So it's sort of a renewal strategy of, of moving the company from one place to the other. Um, and then COVID came. Customers were, were lost. Revenue was lost. Cost remained. Uh, shareholders were in panic um, and then we ran into a CEO who was sort of in panic and saying well you know never waste a good crisis but sort of everything that we learned so far I trust is, is unsuitable so what to do help us to find a path forwards which is a great question Because typically you will run into leaders, great leaders, I must say, because they're leaders for a reason, not just because they're senior managers, because they're really powerful, talented people that really deserve the place that they have in their, in their local systems. But we train people to come up with solutions rather than be experts in asking questions. And I come across very few leaders um, that are, are, are really good at asking questions. So typically we run into companies that say, We've, we have a problem. Good. We acknowledge that. We found a solution, even better. Help us to design that solution further. To design it, develop it, implement it. Nine out of ten times in the first two to three weeks, we, we visualize, we make explicit what we already know, is that the solution is never uh, the right one doesn't simply because they're typically unable to articulate the actual problem. So how come can you how come that you already know the solution without being able to to really be very precise on what the problem is? Now, back to the panic part. So we came across a CEO that that already acknowledged the fact that that solutions were not obvious. The problem was obvious. No customers, no business. We do have costs, uh, so you, you're sort of a sort of a, a situation of how do we survive, um, and 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 that's uh, that uh, is really a, a great setting to be in, because that allows me, but also the team that we worked on, to show the best that we have, to perform to our utmost, um, because we go to we go to places where nobody's been before. There are, there are no best practices. There are no solutions for situations that, that this company or other companies were in or are still in. Sounds like some kind of improvisation based on a special team. Right, can you share with us the, the, the way how you work? Well, as you know, Christoph, we work from the music thinking framework. 
and what 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 helps me in in all situations or in many situations is to find a balance between the cues and it always starts with listening now listening is not a cue it's more it's more a continuous stage that you're in can can uh, you listen- explain it what it is the music thinking framework <laughs> Oh, of course. So, music thinking framework is a is a framework derived from um, from the musical world, I should say, um, designed into a a into a structure that that allows people like me to uh, to guide and to facilitate change and. Um, it's it's sort of a best practice between design thinking and music. I would say it's much more much richer than than just design thinking, but it has elements to it. It has stages that sort of correspond to it. And for me, it's always very clear where we are. Let's say sort of in the challenge space and where when we are in the solution space. The music thinking uh, framework embeds iterations, which means that. It doesn't really matter where you are. It always allows you to come back to that point. And so you don't need to do things right the first time. When you have something that is good good enough for at that at that time, you can then iterate on, on that later. Um, do, do you talk with your client about the framework? Do you explain it to them? Or do, are there other ways to, to, to bring them into into the working because I can understand that people just heard about design thinking and if you come up with something new they say they might say oh no not again that's uh, don't don't uh, come with new buzzwords we we don't even understand the old ones yeah, so exactly. so, so exactly. How, how do you do this so we at currently you are let's say a sort of a maturity level that that allows us to use it without making it explicit so there is sort of magic going on whereby we understand how that is actually being crafted, how it is being created, without the, 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 the people that we work with at the customer side really understand what is going on. And we've tried to, make, make, to, to onboard them in the framework, but it's for what you say, eh? so they're sort of getting tired of all the buzzwords. So they just went on a training for design thinking, and now we come in music thinking. They got lost. They're still in the midst of their agile transformation process, and they don't understand what this is. Um, they're still working on the Lego game for Lean. So how does it relate to music thinking? So there are so many frameworks going on um, that, that we found is not really helpful to, to educate the, the people that we work with on the framework itself. It allows us to continue to, to ask the question to ourselves, what is needed in the moment? What is needed in the now? Is it creating a... Um, holding space for people to feel safe and to to really express their concerns Uh, or is it about showing identity showing personality in terms of no this is our perspective so we're not just guiding and facilitating you we also come with many years of experience Um, so it's 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 balancing between empathizing what what they need or what their customers need or what their customers of customers need or what their partners need but also being very clear on who, who are we? What is our role in this, in this change? It's not just playing sort of the second violin um, by, by being very 
obedient and servant to the perspective. No, it's we come with a perspective. We come with a motivation. We are here in this room, in this system as well to change. And it's that finding that balance as well. But it's also about um, asking the questions, and who are you? Who are you? And who, would you do, who do you want to become? Uh, and making the clear distinction. So it really helps us. The framework allows me to ask also to ask the right questions, to come up with the right interventions, to come up with instruments to to take the logical steps in a sort of evolutionary self-discovering process. So what's an instrument? An instrument. Well, I don't play music so much. I don't really know what an instrument is. In my world, instruments are place of work. Uh, uh, it could be a workshop, it could be a part of a workshop, it could be a, a, a very small intervention, it could be a remark, it could be a comment, it could be a silence, it could be anything. It's, it's something that you do deliberately, it's something that you structure, that you design and that you propose uh, to people to work with. Uh, so it's actually something, so it's, it's always uh, very intangible but it's something that, that allows people to, to do, to learn, to practice, um, uh, and, and to get value out of it. It's always it's about, about creating sort of a logical next step in the change process that they're in, and then to say, hey, we learned something. We got a new insight. We know what to do. We know what to choose. We know what not to do. We know when to pause. We know when to accelerate. And so that's that's what we, what we aim with instruments. And in, instruments are extremely broad huh? and 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 we know many uh, all of us know many instruments such as the business model canvas or the value proposition canvas these are very powerful instruments but they only make sense when they're part of a larger change framework when they're part of a larger context uh, we all understand what stakeholders are but this the instrument about mapping stakes and stakeholders in such a way that it, it it transforms huge enterprises into people and to patterns of people uh, that you can work from, where you, let's say, sort of create patterns across customers and partners and employees. Um, and these are, let's say, very, let's say, crucial instruments. And, and I guess it's like music. The more, the better you are with an instrument, the better music you can play. Right, right. Nice. It, and this also means you don't need to be a musician to to have benefit from from the from the framework or the the way of thinking. So, what did resonate with you in the first place um, when you encountered uh, the, the the way of thinking? So, what what was what was it for you that you said, "Hey, that's something different. That's maybe something I can use. That's something I can um, incorporate into my new." collaborative and make something different than that I've heard before or that I in the, that I worked before? Well, the frameworks that I work with are, to be honest, shallow, linear, one-sided. So it's, they never, they never show the true complexity of the change that we're in. Um, or that a customer is in, or a team is in, or a person is in, uh, or, or a larger society is in. Um, there are no easy answers. And even though that is quite, sometimes quite abstract and conceptual, 
it, it's on a, on a, I would argue, meta level that, that facilitates to understand where you are and what you need to progress. It, it doesn't guarantee success. It, it doesn't assume that, that if, if you take five, five steps that you're done. It's, it, 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 it follows, let's say, the continuum of space and continuum of time uh, that, that you have a history, but also a future as a, as a group or as a team or as, a, as an organization. It re, it's really the fact that it's sort of a continuum that you can work from. And that really resonates with me because very often consultants like us, they come in, they say, well, you know, we looked at it, we know the problem, we fix it, and then you're done. Um, which is never the case, which is never the case. It's, it's always that people need to go on. It's not that it, we, the, we try to, uh, we work in a, towards a situation where we say, okay, let's win from the competition. And then you have won. And then what? And what's done? What, what's the two days later after the, fact, after the moment that you have won? What's happening then? It never stops. And, and the music thinking framework, especially with, let's say, with the, the iterative part of it, there is always work to be done. You always need to uh, adopt and adapt. Uh, you always need to uh, take change into consideration. It, it, it simply never stops. And that's really what resonates with me with the framework. Well, in Fabric, you're doing collaborative transformation. Can you elaborate a little bit more what it exactly is and how you combine all these things, the question, sometimes the, let's say, panic questions of a client uh, who already has a solution but not understands his problem, maybe, and um, how the elements of, of music thinking or the framework um, come together in the collaborative transformation. So how, how does this work together? And, and how can people, people the listeners that, that uh, hear us now, uh, benefit from it? And, and also use it for, yeah, like meaningful collaboration. Yeah. So when you Google for collaborative transformation, you won't find answers. <laughs> you might find our website, but you won't find answers. So it's a concept that's not, that's not really embraced, I would say. But even though that if you look at the words collaborative and the word transformation, an image pops up which means that you transform collaboratively. So what does that mean? Um, we basically say any change is a change driven by, by people. And it needs, by adopted, it needs to be adopted by people. And we found that, that, that people are very much willing and capable of change, but they don't like to be changed. Huh. So our, our whole philosophy is to include the people that are that are concerned um, in the change, uh, and to 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 guide them in in finding their own path forward. So it's you should as a consultant you should never take the position of sort of schoolmaster saying this is what you should do and this is what you not should do. It's up to them to decide what they want to do and what they want them to do. But you can guide them through options and paths. And, and so it's a very subtle, but also, let's say, a very balanced setting where we say we, we treat each other as equals. Uh, and we need to work hard to get to, get to that position. Huh? Because typically you come in and you're a supplier, you need to, 
you need to listen to what they say because they pay. Uh, so it, it's it's we need to work towards the, set, the, the situation where we are being considered equals. But once we're there, we can actually we can show them what others have done, what others what what has worked in the past, what has not worked. But also definitely allowing them to discover what works from for them or for their customers or for their process or for their shareholders. Um, so it's a it's, it's continually balance. It's a balancing act of of showing where to go, pausing, allowing them to uh, digest and to and to iterate on it, to to chew on it, on, and to come back to it, and then say, okay, now we we take forward. So we, you need to follow their process, their change process, their work from their mental capacity. Um, um, while showing what to do and also be sometimes pushy uh, and to train them. In all cases, we start showing people what to do and to learn, to learn the new skills because they need typically new insights, new language, new ways of working for making the change because the situation that they're in has been created in, in the context that they're in, huh? so that's with the, with their with their language, with their skills, with their way of working. So you, you hardly are able to change that situation with the skills and the tool set they, that they had. They need new tool sets. So it's uh, so we, you know, that's where where the agility cue comes in. We always uh, collaborative transformation is a, is always all about learning new stuff from day one, and it could be as simple as. How do we work with a whiteboard? How do you create a check-in? Which questions do you ask? How do you moderate a, a meeting? When, when do we allow people to speak up? When do we require people to shut down? These are very small, subtle um, insights that people People need they 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 know how to do it, but they stop doing it. They unlearned it, uh, and that and that this this is all that say what I would say part of the collaborative transformation. If we bring in a musical term, and that's also what the podcast is about, so is it more more like the way you work, like more composing together or conducting, or more like jazz band playing together? But and I, I even. Um, while I hear you speaking, I also thought about um, in Indian, uh, North Indian music, for example, there's no score, so people don't know what to play. So there's no composer in that sense that they that they write big uh, musical scores. So you learn together with your master. So and uh, I just had the, mm. the the idea that the way how you approach this is a little bit a mix uh, all all of these. So it, it it feels like a jazz band to me, but it's not like a conventional jazz player it's more like a, a, a mentor a teacher player and sometimes you compose together or and you help them to conduct or you conduct so that's that, that's these are the images that uh, that uh, that i have now how, how do you how do you see this um all of the above i would say it it really depends the 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 stage of the transformation. Um, typically, when you start, people expect you to be able to predict all the steps to take, and especially also the outcomes. We are, uh, um, and 
we're never able to predict the outcome. We're not even able to predict the process. Uh, so you need to sort of play the magician and say, okay, well, you know, we know what the problem is. We know what the solution is. We, we create a planning, a, uh, which is sort of time boxed uh, with, with stage gates and milestones uh, and outcomes as if we would actually be able to predict the whole process. So we take a very traditional approach simply because people, since they've never heard of collaborative transformation, it's the, the change is too big. So we need to sort of create superficial structures where they can hold on to. And then as we go along, positions change. Right? So it's, it's right. from a very traditional conducted type of approach to say, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is the score. This is what you should do. This is what you should do. This is how we coordinate. This is how we govern uh, these type of words. And then slowly but surely we change words. We change structure. We change score. And we say, well, you know, we thought there was a good idea. What do you think? Is this still a good idea? No. We ne- in fact, we never thought it was a good idea. Okay, let's let's craft then the new approach. And then in that in that setting, I don't know what the right approach is. Do you know what the right approach is? Well, let's try to find out together. And so sort of along the way, you start changing roles, positions, and I guess that and also that, so also the dynamics and also the positions in the system. And there's also a bit like that jamming together or, or, or prototyping. So if you have a, if you change an organization or you ask into an organization to change, um, this ha- also has an effect of the organization. And the collaborative transformation uh, um, approach um, is, is using uh, a lot of, yeah, in design thinking you would say prototyping, in music you would say we jam together. And uh, how, did you, how, did, how did you do this for your organizational change project? So project where yeah. you already yeah, ask so for organizational change, so not for mm. the strategy, but more for, right. hey, we know we have to change, but the change should be more in the organization right. so that we can right. make it happen, like all the, 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 the last five years where companies went to Sweden and to learn from a music company, Spotify, to learn how they organize. So this was interesting. So why do they go to a company that is actually doing something with music Spotify and organize in a way so that they can uh, deliver better better software. So a lot of people went there, came back and tried to do the same uh, and uh, and most of them or, or not will not say most of them, but many of them came back and saw that they can change it. So they had first had to change the organization, but if you change the organization, what kind of players do you need? So um, you've been in the same situation that someone asked you to help me to do this. And um, how did you start? Part of our collaborative trans- transformation approach is that we say, well, so we, we, as a, we are, form a team with the right people, uh, the right expertise, but we equally want to have the team from the cl- customer side. Right? So it's because you need to sort of have a strong presence in the organization to move ahead. And in this particular case, it was quite a... a uh, quite a change uh, in terms of redesigning the organization from scratch, uh, redesigning the structure, the governance, the leadership, the uh, talent management, the the goal setting, the cadence in in the organization. It was sort of a complete redesign. Um, uh, So we needed to have representation of the organization. 
Now, in a very silent organization, if you want to be able to have, let's say, representation, you need to have a representative of each department. Otherwise, people don't feel represented. But if you have 25 departments, you end up with a team of at least 25 people, which is undoable. So in this case, we said, well, you know, um, and the whole change was also about empowering the employee. Which means that if, if, you're, if you're true to your, to your objectives, you need to practice that from day one. The senior leaders were, were inclined to appoint people, uh, to create uh, to people that they trust, that feel that they're competent, but not per se the people that are being recognized or respected by the actual employees. So we suggested, so, well, you know, let's do, let's do both. Why don't we create a, an opportunity for the employees to candidate uh, themselves um, and then we allow the people to vote and the people that have the most votes um, are on the team. Um, well, that's very, very scary for the uh, senior leaders because that, that would mean that they need to give up control. But hey, wasn't that the whole point from the start? You wanted to give up control to empower the organization. Sure, but not from day one, they thought. Um, but they did. Huh? So they, they, and there was a very powerful leadership. They, uh, they informed the entire organization um, that we're looking for four representatives of 25 departments. And then the entire organization figured it out. With their wisdom, they figured out which four persons would be able to represent the interest of the entire organization. Oh. And then we complemented that with uh, a number of people assigned by the senior leaders. Uh, and we had a great start. We had a great team that was respected and trusted by the entire organization. So the biggest change was already done in the first week. So it's like getting your, your right teammates together just before you go into the studio. You just <laughs> pick the right players where you know they can play and they have in, in, in enough backing from, from the audience, let's say, and to, 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 to help them to, to, become an, to become actually the, the, the change. Yeah, without having the control of who, who will be part of the team. You also use the gem cards. And, um, you know, the gem cards are the... 38 inspirational cards where you can scan music uh, on, on the cards. There you have six different uh, triggers like trigger questions. And sometimes I envy you the way how you work with it because uh, I might have uh, invented it, but you are the master player. And uh, I really like the, the, the way how you did the check-ins and sometimes also the, the onboarding of team members or the, let's say the, some kind of check-out and, and use them. Can you actually, f for me, it also looked like that you got a new instrument or different instrument to use. Yeah. Can, can, yeah. You, can you explain a little bit how you did it and how you are using it? The gem cards are trigger cards. And what resonates with me is the fact that a symbol, a, a, symbol, a, a word, a image, a quote, a music fragment can actually really trigger something in your subconscious. And I find that it works in almost all settings that, that, that you allow, that you can invite people to choose your card combined with a question uh, to trigger something. People are always triggered, uh, but the art is in designing the question and figuring out which question is suitable for right. which context and which setting, which time, which type of energy. Uh, 
right? So it's um, in a way it's very democratic because let's let's say you have a goodbye party, which is one of the examples that I really I really appreciate. Typically, especially Dutch corporates, when somebody leaves the company, there's always one person that needs to speech, or actually in two. Huh? This, the most senior person in the room and the people and the person leaving. But that, that senior manager doesn't per se know this person or, or know the person best or has the best interest with that person. Um, what we often do is that we invite the people that are all part of the goodbye party to say, okay, let's take, let's pick a card. And I invite you to, to speak up just what is, whatever you want to say on base of that card towards the person. And because you have sort of a starting point, you don't need to start from scratch. And it's democratized because everybody's equal. Everybody has the same, mm. the same space, the same challenge. It's democratic in the sense that the powers don't, don't matter anymore. But it's also a way that, that people are all people are confident enough to say something. And once they're beyond that hurdle of the first word, magic comes. They they say the most beautiful uh, and well-meant things towards the people that, that or the person that is leaving. Um, and once in an organization or a group of people have experienced that. You can never go back to the former, <laughs> the, the, for, the former and the formal way of saying goodbye. And the best part is when the, the last person, the people, the person leaving, is invited to say something towards the group on base of that card. Yeah, right. Because then you have the opportunity for that person to wish the best on basis of that card for the group of people, um, and that that always resonates. With the people's hearts and minds, it's it's just magical to see. You also used it for for the, the in the organization when we formed the new um, departments or, or the new teams uh, to to prototype them and to wish the new team something that was triggered by the card. So I, find, I found this uh, a very special way to bring people together and also, like what you said, to make everyone equal. Everyone has to pick one card. Okay, sometimes we, we know that people like to pick two cards and that's funny enough because then they have to explain <laughs> why they did it and, and, and it even, it, yeah, it makes much more loose in the way how they, how they feel. So the cards are just triggers. But it also, it also, it also breaks systemic uh, settings. So typically, especially when you talk about uh, organizational change, you come across unions, workers' councils, uh, stuff like that. And people that matter, but have a particular role in the system. And it's uh, in the Dutch setting, uh, the relationship between uh, directors and workers' councils are not always the best. They're sort of a opposites where one is working towards, let's say, the best for the company and the others are working to, for the best of the employees and there's sort of sort of tension uh, and they do that over and over again so that every time they enter the door, there's a tension. And it's very hard to break that tension. 
And so when, when you have a new leader coming in or a new member of a workers' council coming in, they within five minutes, they understand what this play is about and they're, they're back into the systemic roles. And so it's very hard to change the systemic uh, situation. Now, once we did, uh, with, with, when we had the first um, discussion with the workers' council, it was, it was very tricky because the, the, the client wasn't really convinced and it was very, you know, well, tense about it should go right and we can't make mistakes and, and because if we make mistakes, we're lost and we can't make the change, etc. So we worked, we started with jam cards. And what turned out, they're all employees. They all have the best in mind for the company. By simply framing the question, is it why are you here? And pick a card to explain. And that, that sort of disrupted the whole system. And from there on, the whole change process with the workers' council uh, was was a was was a dream compared to let's say to regular changes, because we sort of be able to we, we were able to disrupt the way these people talk to each other. Great, great. Now, thank you very much for for all these uh, all these insights. And um, yeah, I've I've also a question for you. You do you play an instrument? I play didgeridoo. Hey, no, that's interesting. You you have to tell more about this. So I wasn't raised with, let's say, the rigor of of training an instrument or playing an instrument as such. But and in fact, I guess I'm I'm I'm, I'm one I'm a person that that has quite is autonomous in learning. Huh? So I like to practice and do things myself. And but I never really got to an instrument until. A couple of years ago, when I was in Australia in, in Alice Springs, and I and I ran into this shop where they had marvelous uh, didgeridoos, and then I realized this is what I need to have. Wow. So I, I, I handpicked one and shipped it to the Netherlands. Uh, I took a couple of lessons, uh, and it's just amazing. The, the I, I find it amazing in terms of also very similar to the music thinking framework in terms of the continuum. It, it, it just never stops. It's sort of a, sort of a, it's a, it's a mindset. You get in sort of a um, relaxed mode uh, to, uh, to 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 play the didgeridoo. And uh, yeah, but to let it never stop, you have to do, you have to change. You have to change the way you breathe. Absolutely. And and that's interesting. So how did you it's learn that? And then with the glasses of water or straw. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> That's the that's the way to do. <laughs> Great, and then that continuum. That's interesting because it's just actually it's just a, a wolf. You also could do it with your vacuum cleaner. That's not so uh, not so nice looking, but it it might have a comparable effect. But the but the the skills to play this maybe the most basic instrument uh, ever. And uh, and for and for, for for me to 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 add the, to, to 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 add on on, on this is like um, in and that's also for me the link to to the business. It's not just an instrument. Most of the time, the didgeridoos are made by the players. And okay, for tourists now that you you have it in a, in a shop, and that's the only way to go because you don't want all these tourists in the forest <laughs> cutting trees. We don't want this. But the idea is like that: in, if a didgeridoo player wants to have a new didgeridoo, he walks in, in in the woods, sees where the termites are because they are eating the inside out, 
and then they cut it. And that making of the instrument and playing, and that also reminds me to business. Sometimes we make our own instruments, and then we learn them to play. So it's making the instrument, shaping the instrument, learning to play, making falls, and we have to use new tricks like with the water and the straw to get some kind of something like what is called circular breathing to get this this one tone that that that, that never stops. Thank you so much, uh, Roy, for for your for your talk, for your insights, and uh, all the things that you shared. How can people come in touch with you? With Frederick, if they if they are if if it resonates with how you talked about change, how you talked about um, working together in collaborative transformation, how can people get in contact with you? Well, go to fabric.com uh, and my details are there uh, or LinkedIn. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate this because listening is one of the top leadership skills. And I feel honored about this. It is my mission to find, create and share inspirations for meaningful collaboration based on music analogies. If you want to support this, please subscribe to the podcast, give us a rating or write a review on iTunes or Spotify. And more inspirations can be found on musicthinking.com. We have a blog and you can download the Music Thinking Framework. And finally, I would love to hear your feedback. And if you need help with a business challenge, please reach out to me via email podcast at musicthinking.com. <laughs>